Hi there, this is Vijay Damoji Prapu, and you're listening to the B2B Go to Market Leaders podcast. The show where I go behind the scenes with top go to market practitioners to discuss their mindset and tactics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the B2B Go to Market Leaders podcast. Today, I have with me my friend and someone I look up to from a go-to-market perspective. His name is Charlie Wilson. Now, Charlie is a chief revenue officer at an upcoming and high-profile startup in the legal cannabis space uh, named GreenBits. So that's a quick intro. So Charlie, turning over to you. Welcome. And how are you doing today? Good, good. Thanks, Vijay. Appreciate the kind words and great to connect as always. Terrific. Good stuff. So. As always, I start off asking the first question, which is my signature question, and this is, all, this is what my, the show is all about, which is, how do you define go-to-market? Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's about putting together a bundle and, a, and an approach to create experience, both perceived and real. So making sure that you've got the right audience and you're ultimately delivering an experience that's well-coordinated from the internal perspective um, so that it's experienced and perceived that way from the uh, external perspective. So really kind of at the, at the core, that's what it's all about. Okay. Obviously, there are a lot of moving pieces below that to make it happen, right? It's just not about what we in the company see from either a product or a services perspective, but how all of this ties back to the customer and the buyer and the user. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, your success in go-to-market is going to be a function of having to find those things well and coordinated those things well internally, which is why I really orient around that as opposed to kind of a more an outward-looking perspective than an inward-looking perspective. Yeah. And I've been speaking with my clients as well as several other podcast guests. It's, it's always a combination, right? It's not easy where you always constantly need to have your eye on the market, on the external perspective, but at the same time, you need to be grounded in reality and grounded in perspective as to, okay, what can we deliver and still be sincere as a company, still be sincere as a brand when we're looking to deliver value to the customer and the market? Absolutely. No, no doubt about that. Yeah, good stuff. So let's dive a bit back. Let's rewind a bit and let's talk about your evolution as a chief revenue officer. So essentially, how did you start your career and what led you to actually take this role and uh, go down this path? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of a story journey. I'm going to date myself a little bit, but I was an engineer as an undergraduate and a graduate student. So, you know, really kind of had a focus on kind of technical skills, but very early in my career, in fact, never really kind of practiced pure engineering, but very early in my career was in kind of management consulting. So I had a broad base of, of experience, you know, joined kind of a strategy group at Visa and a, a large organization. So I had a, kind of an opportunity to see a diversity of things through those experiences, really kind of got interested in the kind of sales and marketing side of the equation. Never would have considered myself a salesperson in my early days or even a marketer in my early days, but came to really kind of value and appreciate, obviously, the importance of those parts of the business and the relevance of those parts of the business. So, you know, started to cut my teeth in some sales roles, uh, increasingly marketing roles, and have really kind of evolved down that journey for the last, you know, 10 to 15 years. Most of my career has also been industry-wise and kind of fintech. And my kind of journey to, to GreenBits in particular wasn't so much cannabis driven, it was more business model driven in terms of understanding that SaaS and fintech 
kind of intersection and seeing the opportunity within this particular vertical, which as you can imagine is pretty, and as you know, firsthand is pretty unique and evolutionary or evolving continuously. Yep, absolutely. And uh, quite a few things that I want to double click in what you shared, right? I mean, definitely a good journey. And this is something that I keep reminding to several folks that I meet with, as well as to the audience, right? Nuggets and lessons for the audience is you don't need to be feeling stuck in a specific role or a specific field, right? You mentioned about you started off as an engineer, but never really saw yourself growing in that role. And that's where you start exploring and going down the path of more on the business side, which is more on the marketing and eventually to the sales and now the overall revenue ownership piece. I think that's one piece. So really uh, curious, if I just double click on that, I mean, what really attracted you or pulled you away from engineering towards more on the business side, starting with the marketing piece? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's one, just kind of a, a general interest and fascination with characterizing the business world. I think the, the technical background provides some really important underpinnings that in today's day and age, our table stakes, you know, many, many years ago were probably perceived as luxury and that I don't think sales and marketing disciplines historically were as data-driven, as analytically focused. Clearly for the, you know, the last 15, 20 years, they have become that way. But it was having that foundation and leveraging that foundation in the area where candidly, I probably just had more interest, the marketing side and the sales side. So being able to kind of you know, break down a market, segment that market, understand where you can set yourself apart, differentiate yourself, ultimately kind of bring somebody through a buying journey and ultimately to a close sale. And seeing the enjoyment of the op- of that dynamic with both enterprise customers, which are a different beast, as well as small businesses, and you know, kind of tailoring the go-to-market experience, you know, based on some of those customer profile dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I was uh, so looking forward to and wanting to push you on that piece, which is, I know you're big on the small customer piece or the small customer segment, and somehow and or somewhere along the line. Yes, initially early on in your career, you started off with customers and markets that are more enterprise focused, but somewhere along the line, you got pulled towards serving the small to medium businesses and the retailers. So tell that story. I want the audience to take away from that as well. Yeah, definitely. So as I mentioned, I was you know, at Visa in my early days and Visa's client base are banks and many of those banks are very large. So those types of conversations, those types of deals are more enterprise. Subsequent roles, I was still kind of in an enterprise context. Probably the biggest thing that attracted me to small businesses was when I met my wife, who happens to be a retail small business owner. You know, I didn't grow up in a family of small business owners, but upon meeting my wife, saw some of the trials and tribulations that a small business owner goes through. Small businesses in particular, they usually get into their business because of their craft and their passion, not because they like to do payroll or they like to you know, do taxes or do all the other things that are associated with running a small business. That was also synonymous with, you know, as I was working, as my own career progressed, you know, had the opportunity to serve small businesses. They're incredibly un and underserved. They're incredibly difficult to serve. So it's a very fun challenge from this side of the table. And, you know, that's really kind of what led me for probably the last almost 10 years to really have a focus and an emphasis on delivering great products and great experiences and getting those into the hands of small businesses and particularly kind of mom and pop like stores. And that's true in our, in our industry. We work with a lot of, you could characterize enterprise, you know, probably a stretch, certainly mid-market-like businesses in a more traditional context, but also a lot of new to retail kind of single store operators kind of pursuing a passion and a dream in cannabis and 
chasing that opportunity. And we get the opportunity to kind of bring them a suite of services that makes their lives home a little bit easier. Yep, absolutely. I mean, this is the key point, right? Which is, first of all, from your personal experience, you actually can connect with that target persona or the buyer. And I think that's key for anyone in product or even marketing or even sales and even to that extent, uh, customer success, right? You need to have that empathy piece. And I think from your story, Charlie, it was very clear that in your case, your wife is a small business owner and you could see the tribulation that she is going through and she went through. And you're bringing that empathy piece to your current role, which is essentially helping GreenBids build that point of sale or the compliance and the various other technologies so that as you're selling to the legal cannabis retailers who are mostly small to mid-market today, as of now, that's the majority of the market today. But that's the key, right? The point I want to hit is the empathy piece and nothing like building empathy from your own personal experience. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's a great point. Like It's understood, but I think it's still often missed. You know, you've got a lot of smart people who have good ideas. They can build great technology. They can kind of analyze and break down a market. But I think a lot of times businesses and groups miss the mark in terms of that true empathy and true understanding of the experience that the recipient on the other side is experiencing. You know, and we still struggle with this and work to kind of improve this. You really have to put yourself in the shoes of the person on the other side. And when you think about a small business owner in particular, the breadth of things they have to deal with, you know, in many cases, they are the, the sales organization, they are the CEO, they are the human resources departments, they play a lot of hats. And again, a lot of times they're in that situation because they have a passion for baking cupcakes, for instance, or, you know, mountain biking and selling retail, you know, mountain bike parts in a retail environment, not because they like to do those other things. And often they're underwater in those other things. And if you understand that, you appreciate that and you incorporate all those other distractions and stresses that are on those businesses, then you can be more effective in positioning and getting your product or service to that audience. As I mentioned before, very un- underserved because they've typically been difficult to serve uh, historically. Yeah, absolutely. So just building on that point of empathy, I think which is very crucial in the whole go-to-market piece. So personally, from my own experience, I've had the good fortune and I've been grateful for all the several product marketing or even head of marketing roles. And in that capacity, typically as a head of marketing, my responsibility and the customer is, yes, I mean, you have the company-wide customer, which is the market segment, but the internal customer is sales, right? So sales is the number one customer for the marketing team. And something that I've realized after I've started the company that I'm running today, which is Strata, which is serving or helping essentially the various B2B SaaS companies build go-to-market either clarity or go-to-market efficiency, which means for me, yes, I'm playing and wearing multiple hats, multiple roles. At the same time, I'm actually wearing the role of a salesperson. So ever since I've embarked on this journey where for me, I need to do the outbound or I need to do prospecting or where I need to do like, uh, okay, helping understand the buyer from their pain points and their challenges versus internal from me. Hey, how do I close the sale? That's an entirely different mindset, right? So personally, again, going back to the meta point that we've been talking about, which is building empathy and nothing like having a personal experience to build that whole empathy piece. Yeah. I think something that has really impressed upon me, the more I've kind of progressed through my career, that domain experience and that kind of firsthand experience is really critical. Like I think 
generally like to think myself and you know lots of people can go into an environment that they're unfamiliar with and be successful but i will tell you to have that domain experience to have the kind of firsthand experience is really really valuable not to say that it can't be overcome but it goes a long way in establishing that empathy and kind of unlocking or uncovering or at least being aware of some of those intangible elements you know to be successful in serving a particular segment or audience or individual yeah absolutely and Obviously, in your role as a chief revenue officer, you have the complete visibility into what the marketing team is and should be doing, as well as the sales team is and should be doing, right? So you got that end-to-end perspective. And I think rather than me telling, I, I just want to hear from you as to how you create that alignment and empathy piece, not just between the two or across those two functions, but even with the whole uh, buyers in the market. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think it's not rocket science, but data-driven, kind of clear, concise communication. Those things allow you to make sound decisions around where you put your energy and they allow you to execute effectively. So, because so much of the working world is about the human interaction. And to the degree that you've got sound communication between those organizations, you've got a common understanding between those organizations and others, you can be a, a heck of a lot more effective. So it's, you know, I think where things break down or where they succeed it's less about the specific disciplines of marketing or sales per se, and it's more about just common sense and foundational things like structured communication and effectiveness there. You know, I think there's always going to be a good you know, tension between sales and marketing in terms of where one ends and the other begins. Certainly try to impress upon our team and our organizations that there's not a kind of black and white line or a clear line. There's a very healthy overlap. And the more that, you know, as you mentioned, use the term empathy, the more that the marketing team is empathetic to the the experience and, and what the sales organization is going through, the more effective they can be in assisting or helping in that respect. And conversely, the, the more empathetic the sales organization is of you know, the things that the marketing organization is trying to take on. So, you know, you see some companies, uh, particularly startups, there's a notion like, hey, everybody in the company plays it, does a, a role in customer support because you build empathy for the customer. The more the sales organization can spend time and, and kind of live the life, so to speak, in the day of the marketing organization and vice versa, the more the marketing organization can live a day in the life of the sales organization, I think the more effective they can be individually and certainly collectively. And again, it's never easy to get that quite right, but that's what, what we really strive for. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I just want to get your thoughts. I mean, off late, there is a growing notion around the whole revenue team, which comprises both the marketing and the sales, but there's also the whole new field of revenue ops. So I want to get your thoughts on those. Yeah, no, it's, it's that's a great question, a very timely one. So we actually have a role open for a revenue ops individual. Historically, I think we probably looked a little bit more like other businesses or certainly where the trend or the precedent was before we had sales ops and marketing ops. And I talked about the empathy and the communications, but the other piece I talked about was the analytics and the data. And to the degree that you have somebody kind of in the revenue ops role, you've got somebody in the interstitial space between sales, marketing, and arguably customer success. And the byproduct of that and the benefit of that is you get data analysis and insights in an unbiased and kind of independent fashion. So you're not getting the skew or the biases that maybe the marketing organization or a marketing ops person might put on a situation or, or conversely the sales ops, but you've got somebody who you know, is really sitting in that interstitial space to make sure that the organization at large is getting the most relevant information and guiding in the most appropriate and sound direction. So you really remove some of the silos, you remove some of the biases and some of the potential areas of tension 
by looking at that across those functions as opposed to kind of within those individual functions. And as I, as I mentioned, we've, we've kind of embraced that and have adopted that and in the process of continuing to expand that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And this is something that, that's been playing on my mind, especially when it comes to go-to-market. Of course, this podcast is all about go-to-market. Even the work that I do with Strative is all about go-to-market. And if I tie back to the experiences that I've had previously when I was working at other companies, right? It was mostly around product marketing, quote-unquote, owning go-to-market. But if you be in the shoes of a product marketer, it's extremely challenging. Yes, product marketing can come up with a go-to-market strategy, but to execute and to make things happen both within the broader marketing organization as well as with the sales organization is extremely tough. I mean, it's not within the scope of that role, right? And that's something that's been playing on my mind. And, and I'm seeing that trend playing out in the industry today, which is the go-to-market piece is slowly, it's still early days, but it's slowly beginning to come out of product marketing where it's more of an independent function, more of an independent team or a role that's sitting across and outside of marketing, sales, or even customer success to that matter. Yeah, I, and I would actually extend that, you know, in, in my mind, two of the most influential individuals in an organization, depending on how you're designed, are kind of, and depending on obviously the industry and who you're serving, the product manager and the product marketer. Those two individuals and those two kind of roles are really kind of at the center of the universe. And to your point, they've got to drive and coordinate and organize a lot of different individuals and functions um, in order to be successful. But yeah, we look at it kind of the same way. Like that product marketing role is really critical, particularly in our industry, where kind of finite universe of operators, a lot of kind of word of mouth, the ability to kind of clearly convey the benefits of the products, you know, clearly convey and create great experiences within the product and the service is really critical to our overall sales and marketing success. So in our particular industry, I would say those roles are you know, even more, more amplified than they may be elsewhere. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And just going back to the whole RevOps role, I've also seen the RevOps role reporting possibly into the CFO organization as well. I mean, CRO slash CFO is dotted line, right? Because at the end of the day, it's about, yes, alignment. And, but at the same time, that role has to stay true to, okay, are we hitting the numbers? Are we hitting the metrics that we need to hit as an organization? Yep. And that's, again, that's fairly similar within our organization and that particularly on the analytics side, you want, you know, the finance organization to be, you know, very close. And then again, very consistent in terms of understanding the data, the sources of data and what the data is kind of explaining or telling us. So you're right. Like we put RevOps within you know, my organization, which is not the finance organization, but there's a very close collaboration and a very keen interest in terms of from the finance organization in terms of those insights, that knowledge, those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Switching gears a bit over here, essentially highlight or talk about how you as a chief revenue officer of GreenBits, how do you come up with the maybe the two to three key go-to-market programs? And how do you think about it from an annual goals perspective, as well as break it down into quarterly goals to functional to individual? So just sharing that piece, I think it'll be insightful for the audience here. Yeah. I mean, I, I gosh, I'm a big believer in usually fewer is better and simplicity is better. So, But extremely hard though. It's extremely hard to do it. The reason being is the shiny thing syndrome as well as, hey, the fear of missing out. I mean, there's so many things playing out there. Yep. No, you're right. And, and in a startup, like oftentimes you have to do many things, but I think you have to be incredibly focused on what's really critical. So kind of like if I go from kind of the long horizon to increasingly shorter horizons, 
you know, when we map out kind of, you know, annual priorities, really try to focus on a, a small number of really critical initiatives. And then, you know, basically just work your way back. I personally like to break things down into 90-day periods. It's enough time where you can make tangible progress and have the freedom to be able to demonstrate and, and make that progress. But it's also not so long that you run the risk of kind of getting too far off course. And then kind of, you know, backing down from those 90-day periods or those three-month periods, you know, then you're starting to, you know, further decompose the objectives and meeting that annual target or that annual goal, you know, by the individuals or the groups themselves. And then I think the criticality, you know, you get what you measure and what you incent. It's really important that you're measuring things that don't create a red herring. Like an MQL is only as good as the quality and the integrity of the definition of that MQL, for example. And, you know, so a, a, you're making sure that you've got not only the right metrics, but the right definitions behind those metrics to make sure they're enforcing and driving the right behaviors to ultimately hit those annual and multi-year objectives. Uh, absolutely. So if I have to extrapolate on what you just mentioned here, Charlie, it is around, okay, you got their annual objectives around the revenue numbers, the sales booking numbers, the pipeline metrics. You got, when it comes to marketing, obviously you got MQLPs, but then there's also the inbound traffic, outbound campaigns, and so on, right? So tying all of these into the various initiatives that marketing and sales have to do for the next three, six, nine months. I think that's critical. Yep. We generate deals from both outbound activity as well as inbound activity. So making sure that we get the right mix and the right balance there for our business and where we can be you know, uniquely differentiated and competitive. Absolutely. So in doing all these things, so what do you feel as, so how are you thinking about the big initiatives for 2021? And I have a follow-up question after that, but let me stop here. What do you think uh, or how are you seeing 2021 for your organization? Yep. No, we just socialized this with our board. You know, we've gone through kind of a planning exercise for the year ahead. And as I mentioned, we've got as a, as a, corp, as a company, you know, we've got kind of four priority initiatives over the course of the next year. And two of them are kind of you know, initiatives that are really new to us. So there will be a big element of go-to-market relevance uh, in the year ahead. And our ability to execute effectively will be really critical to our success. But again, try to you know, maintain kind of a finite number, make sure that we really were focusing on the things that we can get the greatest leverage from that can most substantially move the needle, advance our business forward, advance our, advance our customers' success, you know, in the most uh, profound ways over the course of 2021. So, you know, some of them pertain to kind of new geographies. Some of them pertain to new products and services that we want to kind of attach and introduce to our customer base. Cool. And the second or the follow-up question I had is, what do you see are the big challenges? You did mention about go-to-market as a big piece for 2021. What do you see are the key challenges? You know, again, it's just the, the effectiveness. It's the, the coordination across the organization. So I think fairly confident that we, we've got the segmentation right. We can you know, figure out where to identify these people, you know, get the right messages in front of these individuals. But it's ultimately just bringing all those things together kind of in unison. So where the, the messages get to the right people at the right times, the execution of the product development you know, hits the mark at the right point in time and lines up nicely with all of that. It's not too dissimilar than what I think you know, people experience in any other business or service offering, a product or service offering. Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually uh, in conversations with a couple of my clients as well as with some of the podcast guests who are like CMOs and VPs of marketing. And just to share with you, Charlie, a couple of things that are top of mind is, so one thing is around, hey, 2020 
has been challenging year from a COVID perspective. But at the same time, all these marketing leaders have been and are they still very proud in how they have helped the team pull together and still execute, still maintain that focus and still execute, right? From an operational perspective, from a mental health perspective, from a okay, being dialed in perspective. But one challenge that comes up is, okay, now that I've done that for 2020, how do we do that with 2021 without being too diluted or being fatigued by this whole notion? Yeah, that's a really good point. I would I'm very proud of and applaud our team for 2020 now. You know, I, I would say 2020 has had its challenges. For our particular industry, we've been very fortunate in that our businesses thrived. I think our customers' businesses have thrived and have been in a position where they've been able to operate and they've been, been able to continue to kind of grow and expand. There have been hiccups nonetheless. But yeah, 2020, looking back, was a very successful year. I think the team did a great job. Obviously, lots of fluidity, um, lots of uncertainty, lots of challenges. You know, just you know, an interaction like this where you know, everything has gone to remote. You know, our teams, I think technology companies and our teams are generally well suited to kind of make that natural transition to a fully remote work environment. But there was transition and change and adjustment nonetheless. The ability to have kind of the in-person interactions, the ability to have the in-person collaboration, you know, that's been kind of null and void, which has made things difficult. And I'd say the, the part that's been most, I think, challenging is the ability to have those interactions with customers, whether it be in the sales and marketing experience or with existing customers. That's been the part that's probably most challenging. I'd say going into 2021, we, we feel pretty good. Like Obviously, there's some momentum that we need to, to maintain. There's fatigue, but I'd characterize our fatigue as just the fatigue of a startup, not so much 2020 you know, derived. But I actually, I think we're personally and myself very optimistic about 2021, feel very fortunate around 2020 and think that we've actually got momentum behind us as we go into 2021, where I recognize some businesses are probably feeling like they're having to kind of dig themselves out. You know, very fortunately, we're not as subject to that as some. Yeah. So just double-clicking on that. So your customers and the market you serve are the legal cannabis retailers, right? And uh, assuming from the outsider perspective, I'm assuming that clearly their businesses would have been hit, but at the same time, not getting too much into detail of why cannabis sales would take off. But, but just want to get your thoughts on and your view on how the industry overall has been affected or not been affected. Just want to get your perspective on that. Yeah, obviously, when COVID really kind of showed up in you know, mid-March, I think most of the United States and business in the United States, like there was a tremendous amount of uncertainty. And that was true with our industry. Fortunately, you know, cannabis is a, it's not a federally legal uh, market. It's a state legal market. So you have a very fragmented market, state-by-state rules and regulations. In our industry, for all intents and purposes, you know, nearly every state, with the exception of one, deemed you know, dispensaries and deemed the cannabis industry as an essential business. So they were able to stay open during those kind of March, April, May months. The other dynamic is when you had a lot of people home, probably stressed out, probably to some degree bored, probably anxious in a lot of you know, very real and understandable reasons. Our operators not only remained open, they actually thrived in a lot of respect. So our customers, you know, were very fortunate through that process. Now there there were lots of regulatory adjustments and emergency regulatory rules that people had to accommodate. You know, with curbside, you imagine our industry has a, a cannabis plant involved, and it, it's a heavily cash intensive industry. A byproduct of that is you think about hey, curbside pickup. 
there's a lot of logistical challenges that come along with that dynamic when you've got a lot of cash and, and a cannabis products, you know, outside the four walls of the store. So our operators had to accommodate and adjust to certain things, our customers. But fortunately, they were in a position where at least they had the opportunity to make those accommodations, whereas a lot of other industries were just purely shut down. So there were some things that were delayed, you know, new businesses that were going through final inspections. Some of that got delayed. States and industries like, you know, Nevada, particularly Las Vegas, very tourism driven um, segment and geography, not a lot of tourism happening in Las Vegas. So we saw operators there, you know, struggle certainly for a period. But by and large, our industry has been very fortunate. Our customers have had to deal with the fluidity that COVID has presented, but very fortunately, they've been open for business and in fact, seen kind of record numbers during the balance of this year. And obviously, we're, we're hopeful and optimistic that it carries forward into 2021. And in fact, you know, you see the election, just the general industry, our particular industry, we had five more states legalized through this latest election. So we feel very excited and very confident. Yeah, definitely exciting times for the industry as well as the players in the industry. Clearly, I can see that happening. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. So as we wind down a bit, last couple of questions here, Charlie. So you did mention about uh, some of the goals, the big initiatives for 2021, as well as some of the challenges that you foresee. And you mentioned about RevOps as being one of the key hires or somewhere you're going to channel some more budget into. Right. So can you just expand and expand a bit upon that aspect of, okay, based on the go-to-market initiatives, what do you see as the key hires? And or if you had extra budget, where would you put that uh, money, extra money into? That's a good question. So, you know, I think prudent capital allocation is really critical. I think we have much more opportunity than we do kind of resources at our disposal. So a few different areas. I think the ability to kind of expand our available market uh, a little bit more quickly, as I mentioned, very fragmented in the United States, you know, state by state. And just there's some nuances to the way that our industry and our product and service works where we have to be a little bit more methodical. We can't just blanket all states at once. There's a pretty vibrant, you know, federal, federally legal opportunity up in Canada. So there's always areas where we could expand geographically faster. The product, you know, we're a relatively new industry and a relatively new company. So in the grand scheme, our product and service offerings are still relatively immature. Like we've got a, we're in early innings. We've got a long way to go so we can accelerate some of those capabilities that, that allow us to deliver more functionality to our customers, you know, drive price points and average revenue per account higher would be areas that we would look at. I think one that you know, we've had in the back of our mind that if I could really kind of carve out a big piece would be on um, data and insights. There's not a lot of knowledge around this industry. We have visibility and sit on a ton of data that I think we can package up and service to our customers with kind of new insights and capabilities. So that's probably an area where if I had some additional kind of resource and budget, would carve out kind of a new and distinct and separate initiative to really go after that. Yeah. So just expand on the data in, and insights piece. Yeah. I mean, you have emerging brands. So you have CPG companies around, around various form factors, infused beverages and edible products and bulk flour and pre-rolled joints and oils and tinctures. So you've got form factors that manufacturers are trying to understand where consumer preferences. You've got a lot of new to the industry consumers. Either people that you know may be coming back to the industry, people that have never experienced the industry. So there's a ton of education on the consumer side. So you can imagine that the brand and the product companies are trying to figure out like, hey, what are the consumer trends and buying behaviors and patterns that inform their own product developments? You've got uh, dispensaries and retailers that are trying to kind of establish their brand, you know, build their own awareness, kind of drive foot traffic 
into their stores and properties. And given that we sit on you know a large body of data that looks across that you know continuum, we think we can provide a lot of valuable services to you know our retail customers as well as you know the brand companies, many of which are our retail customers as they're vertically integrated businesses. Cool, good stuff. Yeah, exciting stuff. I mean, data and insights and data science and the whole notion. I think that that's a big thing uh, from a go-to-market perspective, especially. And uh, I think there's going to be a continuous demand for the whole data science personnel and people with that skills. But at the same time, I, I think the key is not just the ability to run the data models, but teasing out the insights and then channeling and coming up with the key go-to-market initiatives for marketing, sales, or even customer success. I think that that's key. Yep, absolutely. Leveraging that to, to inform where we go as well. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. All right. So I know we need to start wrapping up. Uh, we are getting towards the end of the show over here. Great conversation, by the way, Charlie. I mean, I think uh, you shared a lot of nuggets and advice for the listeners as well as for your peers in the industry. Likewise. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So a couple of uh, last two questions. So the first one in that bucket is uh, if you were to look outside and across your shoulders in the industry overall, who would you call out or who would you give a shout out to as someone who's doing a really great job from a go-to-market perspective? Probably, you know, our model is similar to some of the commerce models. I, I, think, I think the world of companies like Shopify and Square, I think those are two companies that have done a phenomenal job around understanding their market, communicating effectively to the target audiences, building their product and service often and creating an experience, kind of a comprehensive experience that is really meeting the needs of their particular audiences, which both happen to be you know, generally small business segments as well. We're doing it in a vertical context, but have a ton of respect for you know, the individuals within, within those businesses and the way that those businesses have generally operated from their very early days to kind of where they're at now, which are incredibly prosperous and market-leading businesses. Yep, absolutely. And so one final question before I let you go over here, Charlie, is if you have to rewind the time and go back to not your 18-year-old self, but if you have to go back to your first day of when you took on a go-to-market role, be it in marketing, most likely it looks like out of your engineering, but into marketing team. So if you have to go back, what advice would you give to that younger self? That's a good question. I would say, you know, soak up information from kind of anywhere and everywhere that you can get it. There's lots of nuggets of good ideas and new and different ways of doing things in a lot of unexpected places. And I think the other thing, and these are things that I kind of embraced through that period, but I would reinforce it and probably try to amplify it. Like these things we talked about, like kind of understanding of empathy, a broader understanding that you can then draw in and create kind of more narrow and targeted focus like breadth of reading. Like, I think there are some people who read a lot of business books and there are some people who may need, read no business books. And I like to kind of have a diversity of reading and try to consume as much as I possibly can. You know, so I would, I would say, you know, do as much of that as you can, because I think as you draw on these various pieces of knowledge, we're in a world that's very kind of soundbite driven, very Apple news driven. I try to abstain and I would encourage people to abstain from those little short snippets and actually read books. Because I think that's where you get more complete thoughts, you get more diverse and interesting insights that make you a more complete person. And that more complete person can deliver kind of a better experience of whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, whether it be a marketing or go-to-market role or any other role. And I think some of that is lost on society at large and certainly is lost on 
the younger generation because candidly of just what they've been fed. I think that's really important. Right now, I'm reading Thinking Fast uh, and, and Slow as, as my latest book. And uh, next, I'll probably pick up a novel, uh, whatever that might look like. Yep. Fantastic. I think that's a great uh, piece of advice and a great note to end on, right? Which is reading and carving out the time to read every day or at least a couple of times a week. I think that that's really important. And I've personally experienced a lot of growth. And from that growth and insights, I'm seeing that how it's helping me shape my thinking and how I can help my customers better. I think that that's a key point there. Yep. Would agree. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you for your time, Charlie. You've done a great service, actually. I mean, sharing your insights and advice and nuggets to the listeners. And thank you for being on the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders Podcast. My pleasure. And same to you. appreciate what you're doing and uh, great service. It's great to connect today. Thank you. Thank you. Hi there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the B2B Go-To-Market Leaders Podcast. I have all of the show notes and a full transcript on strata.com. S-T-R-A-T-Y-V-E dot com. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get a podcast. Leave a rating and a review. Your comments will help other go-to-market professionals find this podcast. Thank you.